welcome to Gin and Topic. Woo! We are here for another series. Yep, another one. Just keeps happening. Just it keeps does. going. It does. And so we got loads of gins. Oh yeah, tons of gin. Tons of gin. Tons of experts. Yeah. Tons of topics. Well, and that's the thing, you see. Give us a gin. Talk to anyone. We will. Mm. We will talk to anyone about anything. So yeah, we're going to talk to a ton of people about loads of stuff over gin. And I'm going to make rude comments while we do it to stay on brand. <laughs> and you never know, we might actually learn some stuff. We might even remember stuff. <laughs> oh, that's not going to happen anytime soon. Da, 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 da. Hello. Hi. How are you doing? I'm all right. Yeah, how are you? Yeah, not bad. Yeah, not bad. Right, this week then, for you... For me? Well, no, not for you. Oh, I was going to say. I was but like, I mean, like, you know, game show host. This week right. for you, we have... Arms waving Never around. do that again. Never do that again. Is that too much? Too much. Too, too much. much. Right, this week, we have got Dr. Tom Crawford. Okay. And Dr. Tom Crawford is an early career teaching and outreach fellow at St. Edmund Hall University of Oxford. Oxford, okay, nice, clever. He's a mathematician. Good. He runs an award-winning website called Tom Rocks Maths. And he's got his own YouTube channel, which was featured in YouTube's Creator (coughs) on the Rise in December 2020. So he's a creator on the rise. Very is nice. Tom Rocks Maths. Excellent. So, I like a creator on the rise. So, mm-hmm. Tom Rocks Maths. Yes. Mathematician, Oxford. Yeah. What's our topic? Not maths or Oxford, I'm guessing. Oh, I know. Yeah. Because yeah. got... when you say that, I'm like, okay, well, it's clearly not going to be no. sensible. Yeah. It's ocean pollution. Oh, of you're going to be right on your soapbox today. Oh, here we go. Here no. we go. And the reason is, is his actual research is on modelling pollution in the ocean. So he's a mathematician working on climate change climate. and stuff and being that kind of modelling. I bet he's thing. watched Sea Spiracy. And so he identifies the areas that are most susceptible so we can focus our cleanup efforts to be as effective as possible. Well, that's very helpful. So that's our a good question, thing to do. where does river water go when it enters the ocean? Okay. And we'll talk to him when he comes about in. why? As to what we know about that. <laughs> Nemo, all toilets lead to the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> so we are drinking... Iron bark gin. Iron bark gin, which I've never heard of. Never heard of it. And we'll talk to Tom as to why we're drinking it. But iron bark gin is from Australia, uh, New South Wales. Nice. But we bought it in the UK. I didn't buy it from Australia. Hit me. Well, literally. No. I love the bottle, the cork on it. It's, it's huge. It's an all right bottle. I wouldn't want to keep it. Oh, that's a nice house. But it's a nice, nice big cork. It's a nice big cork, but the actual bottle itself is a bit basic. Sorry, Ironbark. Is that enough? That's perfect. Thank you. So what's it say? Our wattle seed gin. Wattle seed? What mm. the fuck's wattle seed? Is a showcase of Australia's native botanicals using our award-winning... 313 dry gin recipe, we added a delicate blend of wattle seed. What the fuck is wattle seed? No idea. My knowledge of Australia pretty much comes from being a five-second summer fan in my mid-teens. Right, well, let's have a look. Edible seeds 
from any of 120 species of Australian acacia. What's acacia? I assume it's a tree. Well, I hope so. Traditionally used as food by Aboriginal Australians. Oh, nice! And eaten either green and cooked or dried and milled to a flower. Well, to make this a type wasn't of taken bush away bread. from the Aboriginals to provide our gin. Yeah. Uh, they still have plenty. Yeah, let's hope. Mm. Um, but I don't know anything about iron bark, so let's have a Am look to at it? iron bark gin. Can I sip it? Mm. Good. I'm going to sip it. Oh, so the name it's right. comes from um, eucalyptus trees. Iron bark. It tastes a bit eucalyptus. But it confuses me because it's got a picture of a bridge. So every time I see it, I think it's Iron Bridge, because it's a bridge, it, yeah. but it isn't. It's Iron Bark. It's all right. Is it all right? It's all right. It's, it's gin. Okay, so, and when roasted, wattle seed gives an earthy flavour closest to roasted coffee and chocolate. Do you get I roasted coffee I don't get coffee, coffee and chocolate? or chocolate, no. Oh, I do. I do. I don't. A bit. I, I suppose get I get a, a slight of... chocolatey hint somewhere I, in there. Yeah, I get a kind of... Um, you can smell it, taste, if that makes sense. Mm. I can't taste it as being coffee or chocolatey, no. but I get that kind of roasted, like um, when you smell them roasting chestnuts in yeah. Covent Garden. Yeah. It's that kind of it's roasted all right, something. Gin. It's all right. I'm not overly fussed by it, if I'm honest. It's kind of fine. I quite like it. Yeah. And I think you could do some really interesting winter things with it. I think, yeah, I think that's my problem. I feel like it needs more done to it because well, we've just got refreshingly light tonic and a lime in it. We've been basic with it. We have. And I'm thinking it would be really nice with a cinnamon stick. Oh, yeah, that'd mm. be nice. But I think it could be a good one to keep in the cupboard for Christmassy stuff. That was Cookie. Yeah, Cookie's trying to get involved. Right, okay, here we go. I have a gin and lemonade with a slice of lemon in. Excellent. So. Perfect. Nice. Do you know, I've never tried a gin and lemonade. <laughs> Sorry. It was, just, it was just the fact that you I acted like that was a really crazy thing. You were like, I have never tried <laughs> Whoa, Sarah, whoa. I haven't. I feel as if I should. Do you want me to take you to Spoon so you can get the full and proper experience? No. Yes, see? <laughs> Didn't think so. Yeah. <laughs> So tell us about the gin because we had a long email conversation about what gin to drink because you don't particularly like gin. No, but I don't. Then, but then this one has been foisted on you by your brother. It has. So, so he's into gin and I told him I was doing this and said, oh, I've, I've got to pick a gin. Like, here's a list. So I forwarded your email onto him being like, you know, you know more about gins than I do. Because I appreciated you gave me so much choice, right? There was like six or seven or I something. I was like, this away. is... Oh, did yeah. you? That's did. classic Sarah. Because yeah. Tom said he didn't like gin, but he liked... And I can't remember what it was now. It was a... Whiskey. A bourbon. Whiskey, bourbon, like but bourbon a bourbon whiskey. type. Yeah. And it was a honey bourbon. Yes, honey so JD. then I got carried away with what gins a, could <laughs> be a bit like a honey bourbon. I found some amazing oh, types of gin. Oh, Classic you, yeah, out. yeah. You never mention Sarah things you like because then you'll get something that's vaguely related to that. Yeah, years <laughs> later. Yeah, and I had such great fun. 
I was going to say, is it one of those where, like, I don't know, when you're a kid, you're like, oh, I like, I don't know, dinosaurs. And then for every single birthday ever for the rest of your life, you're getting something dinosaur themed. Yes. Yes. I have dinosaur earrings. (laughs) Because I have been trained by my mother. Yeah. I mentioned once that I like elephants. I've got many little elephants Oh, I had pigs forever. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so then your, your brother then said, forget that list, that shit. You need this. Well, one. no, I don't think he quite said that. He he just replied and said, "Oh, I didn't really like." Basically, he was he got really excited, as clearly you did, that I was willing to try gin because I flat nice. out refused because all my experiences with gin have been really bad. I I know why. I'll tell you why in a minute. So he got really excited as well, and so he was like, "Oh, well, do you want to try this one?" It's he said he tried it a few months ago, and he's now like addicted to it and is drinking it all the time. And so he was like, "You should try this one." So he, he even like turned up at the weekend to give me a bottle. So he drove like down to Oxford from Birmingham um, on his way back from work. It's, it was a little detour, but he like on his made way an back actual, from work oh, on his actual so yeah made a detour to come and give me a bottle of his favorite gin. So, so oh, that's, that's what we're drinking, brilliant. to be honest. But that's all. I don't know anything else about it other than maybe what it says on the bottle. So you're probably more clued up than I am. Well, we oh. didn't know anything about it, so we and we're not we're never clued up. We're oh, not experts. We are ridiculously dumb sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which is our trademark. Um, so, what do you think? It's nice, especially with the lemonade. Having having just had a sip, I, I I like. I think for me, if I'm going to drink gin, which is extremely rare, then the lemonade kind of takes away that bitterness that mm. you get with like the tonic. I don't know. The sweetness of it to me kind of hides the gin a little bit. So I I, I think it is, it's quite. It's tasty. got notes of sweetness. It's a, it's not a sweet gin, but there's notes of sweetness to it yeah yeah and i think because it's with that roasted seed it's yeah. got a fuller taste oh it's got a fuller taste if that makes sense seed. <laughs> i want to know why have you had bad experiences with gin <laughs> okay so this this is like i'm going to say that the, the classic thing as a teenager when you rob alcohol from your parents that everyone, mm. well, okay, I say teenager. I think at some point in their life, most people steal alcohol from their parents when they're growing up. Never. <laughs> Absolutely never. I didn't have to because I went, Dad, I'm going to a party. We just give it to and you. then Dad went, Well, you need to take nice wine. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember one particular day when all I could find was gin. Um, and I'd never had gin before. So I, I took like a, a litre bottle of gin out of the cupboard um, and then proceeded to drink the vast majority of it. <laughs> as like a 16 year old and as you can imagine that didn't go well um and so no. just you know ever since pretty much even like the slightest whiff of gin just brings back yeah. those memories of yeah. Of, yeah of, of drinking too much gin as a 16 year old yeah. um so yeah i did just... that with lambrini but luckily i don't want to drink lambrini yeah. as an adult, <laughs> so it's okay. i wish i'd chosen something awful right like you, yeah. you know you want to pick like a lambrini that is you're clearly yeah. only going yeah. to drink that when you are a teenager you have like you yeah. said you have no interest in that later in life but like for me it, for me, it was gin so now i'm just like yeah I really have and to say every time I up. smell Lambrini now, not which isn't a regular thing, but we do have <laughs> really? it in work and sometimes, you know. And if I get a whiff of it, I go, Oh I had to so, train. You're brave drinking yeah, gin yeah. with us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we're glad that you like it and we hope it's not gonna give you 
uh, terrible flashbacks, flashbacks no, during the course the, of the book. As podcast. I said, the sweetness, the sweetness of the lemonade plus the half a lemon I added in as well is really, really overpowering <laughs> any taste of the gin. So, yeah, it's, it's working for me. Brilliant. And with the gin, we are talking ocean pollution. And where does river water go when it enters the ocean? Which is a question that I love because I'm like, it's in the ocean. <laughs> so, um, if we now, if Anya and I now talk about what we know, and then you can judge <laughs> where the bar is. Okay. I know exactly where the bar is. The bar is exactly where my bar for dating is on the floor. <laughs> because Sarah said about this whole, you know, where does it go? And the first thought then to my head was Nemo when they're talking about the fact that all toilets lead to the ocean. And that was it. <laughs> that was all I had. And all I can remember is... I remember the pictures of school and the rain goes onto the earth and the water then goes into the streams and the rivers and into the ocean and it goes back up into the clouds and then it comes back the down water again. Cycle. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm drawing with my hand. That's You remember how goes. a podcast works, right? Yeah, <laughs> they can't see my hands, no. but they can hear my hands. Yes, that's yes. true. Yeah. I can see them. I'm appreciating the interpretive dance of the water cycle that's going on. <laughs> and when... Uh, your sister was younger. Her quote was, we're basically drinking dinosaur wee. Yeah. Yeah. You I, know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's all I know. <laughs> I don't know anything else. I don't know anything. I know that the oceans are polluted. Yeah, we're filling them all with crap. Yep. yep. I know that much. And I know we it's got microplastics and yeah. Yeah. And you've also like, got rising temperatures. Yes, which is also bad for the animals. Yeah. Ice caps are melting. Yeah. 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 Polar bears are dying. Oh, mm-hmm. I like polar Got bears too. <gasps> yeah, so the bar is very low. The water cycle is a good starting point, you know. Like, like you honestly, like if I was gonna, you know, I I do talks on this for schools, and I start with the water cycle. So you're you, I, I was impressed, <laughs> not only with the dancing, but with the the actual suggestion of of the water cycle. Um, so so the, I've got a school level. Yeah. Knowledge. You are equivalent to a year seven. Well done. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so the, um, I guess the, the big picture question with it is we're trying to um, understand where the river water goes because that's where all the pollution comes from. So I think that's kind of like the mm. big picture question. That's why my research question is where does the river water go? But we want to know that because that's carrying all the pollution. Um, so like you said, oceans are obviously very polluted, it's very bad, um, and 80% of the pollution that's in the ocean comes from the land. And then this is where the water cycle comes in. How does the water get from mm-hmm. the land to the ocean? It um, Rivers, streams, groundwater, so we get a lot of pollution as well, it comes from farmland. So farmers spreading all their fertilizers, um, they then oh, seep yeah. through the soil into the groundwater, Mm. which then eventually flows into rivers, streams, Mm. makes it into the ocean. There's a fancy name for for the fertilizer entering the river system and then the ocean. And weirdly, lots of people I talk to this about seem to remember this word from like geography class. It's just one of those things. I did geography GCSE, let's see. So, So I'll describe the process. So you've got fertilizers on the farmland, seeps into the soil, enters a river, river flows into the ocean, and then you've got loads of really nutrient-rich water 
great for growing plants, plankton, mm. etc. So then you get a plankton bloom. So all this algae basically forms on the surface of the water. And then the algae blocks the sunlight. So all the fish below yeah. um, start to die because they're missing sunlight and oxygen and things. So they then all die and decay and drop to the bottom and it starts rotting. The bacteria create carbon dioxide, takes all the oxygen out of the water. More fish die. Just a big cycle of death and despair because of these farmers oh, nice. putting too much fertilizer on their fields. Is that ringing any bells? Sad now. No, it's just <laughs> making me sad. Yeah, sorry. It's quite. <laughs> it's called. It's um, okay. Yeah, no, it's, it's called eutrophication. No. No. Okay. No, it, it's one no. of those things where, like, the amount of times I've like described this to somebody, and then they're like, "I know the word." Like, it's just like what yeah. I think it's just something. It's a very unique word that you hear once, and it like never leaves your head. Yeah. It's one of those. It seems to Oxbow be Lakes never left my head. Yeah. That's basically <laughs> all I remember. Yeah, that was it. That yeah. was all. I, d- I don't know why. So the idea is we've, we've got all this pollution coming into the ocean. 80% of it is entering from the land, so it's coming from the rivers. Mm-hmm. So in an ideal world, we would go out and we would just, like, clean up the whole ocean. Just have, like, mm-hmm. a whole fleet of ships dragging like big nets behind them and we just go around and get all the plastic and all the other terrible things that are in the ocean and clean it all up and everything would be great but obviously it's not quite as easy as that unfortunately so you kind of have to think well we have a limited amount of resources whether that's time money Mm -hmm. willingness to do these things so if we have a limited amount of resources we can use to clean up the ocean you want to mm. you put those to use in the areas that are most susceptible to having pollution. So yeah. some of these things you can see, you maybe heard of the Pacific Garbage Patch. Yes. Like the I giant. Actually have. <laughs> I think David Attenborough spoke about it once. Yes. So it's just a, it's basically just a giant floating patch of garbage in the center of the Pacific it's Ocean. It's grim. Because yeah. of the the way the ocean currents work they kind of go in a big circle around Mm. the Pacific Ocean pretty much. So everything that kind of floats gently into the middle gets trapped there and doesn't move away because it's kind of all stuck. Um, So that's like, and there's lots of clean operations happening in that area. Really cool stuff Mm. where where they're very clever things where they have like um, inflatable tubes that like are dragged behind a boat and they capture all of the garbage and it's, it's super smart. And then they collect it all and put it on ships and then take it away to be recycled. And it's amazing. But that pollution is kind of like, that's like the, almost like the easy target. That's the obvious stuff. Like, it's just, here is a giant patch of garbage. Okay, well, let's start there. Yeah. But then when you've got like microplastics, which of course you can't see, you've got chemical pollution. Again, you can't see. Mm-hmm. Unless you go and test all of these spots, which again, you could do. But mm-hmm. That's very, very labor intensive, time consuming to go and test all these different spots. Mm-hmm. So then you say, well, the pollution that we can't see, again, it's being carried in the river water. So if we can try and understand, as the river water reaches the river mouth and gets to the coast, it Mm. gets to the ocean, if we can try and have some idea like where it will end up, because does it spread out in all directions? Does it specifically turn along the coast? Does it go backwards on itself? Does it sink? Does it float? You can just ask these questions. And if we can somehow figure out some of the answers, then you begin to identify hotspots where river water is sort of congregating and then even if you can't see the pollution there you know there will be more pollution there than there will in another area where river water is not Mm -hmm. congregating yeah 
So, so considering you can't see it, how do you go about getting rid of it? Or even identifying what or, it is. Or, yeah. Well, identifying yeah. hopefully <laughs> comes from the maths and the modelling. You can kind of create these models to say, mm -hmm. well, this area in particular, we think, will actually have a large concentration of pollutants. So then you can go into that particular area and then carry out a measurement and see, you know, kind of sort of measure the amount of fertilizer, for example, um, nitrogen or mm -hmm. something concentration in the ocean. And you'll probably get a reading higher than normal. And you're like, yes, this kind of, in some sense, not completely validates the model, but it's, it's suggesting we're doing good things because it's picked out an area that we thought would have a lot of pollution. You can do a few little mm -hmm. tests there and it does. So then you can go about cleaning it up. So if it's chemical pollution, you can kind of neutralize it. So if you've got a particular excess of something, you can add something else to kind of cancel that out mm -hmm. using like chemistry. If it's things like microplastics, mm. you can use really clever stuff. You get like nano nets, so extremely fine mesh nets that kind of look like they're solid to us, mm. but they have tiny, yeah. tiny, tiny gaps to allow the water through, but not the microplastics. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of like sieve through yeah. uh, and get out the plastics in that way. Um, so, you know, the, the techniques do exist, but they're quite expensive. So, okay. Can we explain to a real simple soul um, math modelling? And oh, actually, oh no! Oh no! How do you go about? I love modelling where that pollution. You know what? What is it that you do? Is it a case of just sort of guessing? Oh well, if it's if the river's flowing that way, then I kind of guess it's going to go there, and putting in some kind of equation like. I know what I'm talking about. This is an equation. Yeah. <laughs> it's a no, very, very good question. Mathematical modeling is basically trying to use equations and maths to explain what we're seeing. So it has the advantage in that you know what you're supposed to see. So if, you're, if you take a simple example of, uh, I don't know, if I throw a ball under gravity, you know mm -hmm. it forms a lovely kind of like hump shape. It's a parabola mm -hmm. would be the mm -hmm. mathematical term. And that's because it's something falling under gravity. And then, you know, you write down your equations, you solve them. The answer says your ball will move like a parabola. And so you can, mm -hmm. so you kind of, you have this like fallback of you can do the experiment like in the real world because you're modeling something yeah. in reality. So instead of, because with some maths, and I'm not in any way trying to have a go at pure mathematicians. However, you know, if you're studying a Do 29... Do have a go at them, I dare you. Go on. <laughs> if you're studying like a 29-dimensional space, yeah. how, do, how am I supposed to know, you know, you tell me that this is what a 29-dimensional sphere looks like. I mean, cool. I, I can't say anything except yes. Like, that's, you know... So it, it's, it is really cool stuff, but at the same time, you don't have that verification. So, mm -hmm. so when you're doing mm -hmm. modeling, you can sort of get solutions from them and then check if it's sensible and matches with what you're seeing. Mm -hmm. And what you're trying to do with the model is just capture the most important bits of the physics or the most important variables that control what you're seeing. So, mm -hmm. for example, when you're throwing a ball, the most important thing is gravity. There's like air resistance. Mm -hmm. There's other things. There's the wind. There's there's different things happening. There's inability to throw it. There's also that. In your that. case, absolutely. You can't yeah. throw. No. <laughs> no. 
But in terms of the, so they all affect it. But if you're just trying to get, as, as my PhD supervisor used to say, the first order physics, if you're just trying to get the basic shape correct most of the time, you just need gravity and that's kind of it. Gravity and some kind of yeah. launching motion. So you try and do that. Instead of having like a hundred different variables, like in the real world, you're trying to say, well, can I just model it with two or three that are, they're ultimately controlling what's happening. So they're like the most important things that control what we're seeing. And then you can test that with experiments. And that's basically what I've been doing. So I, was, I did over 600 experiments actually in a lab, which to be honest, surprised me as uh, when I started doing this, for my PhD work, like I was doing a maths PhD. And you I, don't think that if you're like measuring oceans and, and water and modeling that and you're doing it all in a lab. Do you have a little... 600 yeah, times. 600 times. <laughs> I don't yes. think I've ever done anything 600 <laughs> times. Yeah, it was. It took like a couple of years, to be honest, um, doing all of these experiments. Wow. But um, they, were, they, were, they were pretty to look at. <laughs> so the, <laughs> the, there's, there's a, by doing the experiments in the lab, so the, the way I like to explain this is like the advantage is I basically get to play God. And who doesn't want to play God, you know? Me, it's way too much pressure. Anytime someone's like, but wouldn't you love to be God for a day? I'm like, no, are you fucking kidding me? That is the worst job in the world. For example, so I, I basically had um, a big fish tank. So it's a metre mm -hmm. square across and about 80 centimetres deep. So it's just a big plastic cube. It looks like a fish tank. And then you put it on a rotating turntable. So like a record player, mm -hmm. but just obviously a lot bigger to have the, the fish tank on. Yeah. Um, and then you fill, I fill the fish tank with salt water. And that is now my model of the earth. It's a big, <laughs> it's the ocean. It's, it's a big tank filled with salt water and it's spinning mm -hmm. around an axis. On a, yeah, yeah, that's, excellent. So, so the rotation here is really important. So I kind of, um, mm -hmm. that's something you can see from satellite images, for example. So mm -hmm. when you look at river outflows, very, very occasionally, there'll be, say, the rainy season in the Amazon or, or something. Mm -hmm. And the water's really, really dark. It's filled with sediment, sand. And so when, if you capture it at just the right point, and there has to obviously be a gap in the clouds as well, and various things have to come mm -hmm. together. So it's very rare. But you do get some images where you can see actually the river water leaving the river mouth. And you can see where mm -hmm. it goes because it's just the bit of the ocean that's all like dark and dusty and filled with sand. And that's exactly mm. where the river water is. And you can see that at the Amazon, for example, it just goes in all directions equally. Mm -hmm. And then you have, um, let's say, a river on the east coast of the US. There's a really uh, nice image of the Connecticut River on the east coast of the United States. And that, you see the sand comes out, the river water comes out into the ocean, and then immediately takes a very sharp right-hand turn and then flows along mm -hmm. the coast. And then in the southern hemisphere... There's another image I found of an Australian river, the Burdekin River, and that turns to the left as the water <laughs> leaves the river mouth. Now, that might, might sound as though we've got three examples and three completely different things yeah. happening. But first of all, that gives you a clue, with, with a bit of physics background, of course, that's giving you a clue as to what's actually controlling what's happening, and it's the Earth's rotation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because and this is this is actually a myth that's that's talked about a lot so does this go back to plug holes and yes, water going I was about to say so that's in the other way in Australia it, it's it's a myth but it's based on truth <laughs> ha myth 
But based on truth. But based ah, on truth. <laughs> but based on truth. <laughs> so, so your plug hole does not go in a different direction. However, <laughs> however, something much larger would. So the way to think about mm-hmm. it, or the way I like to think about it, is right now we do not feel the Earth's rotation. Mm, we know it's happening. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we know it's happening. Otherwise, I'd get like, motion you know, sick. The world would end if, if the Earth stopped rotating. Nerd reference of the day. Are you ready? I always like to make my nerd reference. Do you remember that episode of Doctor Who, the first one with Christopher Eccleston, where he like grabs hold of Rose's yeah. hand and he lets her feel the Earth's rotation? She's like, that's. It would fuck with you. It I was. don't want that. It would. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't feel it because we're small. So if we don't feel it, there's no way your plug hole is feeling it. <laughs> it, it scales Bears. with size. Okay. But then if you look at something like a hurricane, and you see those weather images of like the usually it's the giant ones forming over the Caribbean that are about to hit the US. Mm-hmm. They always seem to have pictures of those on, mm. on in the news. Though they do because they're much bigger. They're literally a thousand kilometers across, so they're large enough mm. compared to the size of the Earth that they feel the fact that it's rotating. The northern hemisphere it goes they go anti-clockwise, and in the southern hemisphere a hurricane will go clockwise. Which way did the one in the Wizard of Oz go? <laughs> is the Wizard of Oz not set? In, is that not set in the US? She was from Kansas, there you go. right? See, hi, it was oh. Kansas. Yeah, yeah. Right. Actually, Dorothy was yeah. from Kansas, yeah. I think. Yeah. I haven't yeah. seen that since yeah. I was about five. We're not in Kansas anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also fictional because it so it could go whichever way. But then we need to fact check. We need to go and watch it, and we need to say, "Excuse me, I have just realised that it's going the wrong way." You can double. It should go anti-clockwise. Sure you, you do that. <laughs> it should go anti-clockwise. There um, we go. If, if it is indeed in Kansas, yes. Um, so, and the same thing happens with the rivers. So, in the in the northern hemisphere, you have this Coriolis force is is basically the force that comes from the Earth's rotation. So, in the north, it causes things to turn to the right, and in the south, mm-hmm. southern hemisphere, they turn to the left. And then the Coriolis force is actually zero if you're on the equator. And then it becomes yeah. positive in the north and negative in the south, which is why it's right and left. Because if you think about drawing a graph and you have your x-axis, you increase values to the right, so positive, mm-hmm. and you decrease to the left, negative. Um, so it, it scales with the latitude, equator zero, up to 90 degrees positive yeah. to the north, minus 90 to the south. Um, so that's exactly like almost perfectly explaining what's happening. The Amazon's right near the equator, so it goes in all directions because it doesn't feel yep. the effect of the Earth's ah, rotation. Okay. In the north, it turns to the right, and the southern hemisphere, you turn to the left. And, and when I say right and left, um, it is important to, you have to picture this. Imagine driving along the river in your boat, and as you get to the river mouth, you're either turning right or left. Yeah. That's what we mean. It, so it doesn't matter which direction you're moving, it doesn't matter if you're going northeast, south, or west. That's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. You've just got to literally imagine I'm going along my river in my boat. If I'm in the northern hemisphere, I'm taking a right turn. If I'm in the I'm southern about hemisphere. I'm going to the sea. I've really fucked up somehow with the directions here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that's like the first thing you can kind of um, learn about the problem by studying what's happening in the actual Earth and satellite images. Mm-hmm. So that's why when I'm doing the experiments, you have to have the whole thing spinning because there's no other, mm-hmm. like, it's clearly really, really important. And in particular, I was focusing on the River Rhine, which is in the North Sea, you know, being close to the UK. That's how we got our funding from the UK Research Council. Um, yeah. <laughs> having my whole thing went anti clockwise to create this right hand turn. Mm-hmm. 
So that's kind of like the, the first thing. So spotting that the rotation is important, and then you think, right, well, it's clearly controlling three very different behaviors. So that would be one of your really important parameters that you've got to get in your equations and you've got to have in your model. Um, but then there's all sorts of other things as well. With that, is one of them temperature? Because, of course, that's all you hear on the news constantly is like Gulf Stream and the temperatures and that kind of flowy thing. There go my hands. Um, so is that, what's that got to do with anything? Temperature does play a role, but temperature will influence another property of the water. Ooh. So okay. <laughs> what happens when you have hot water and cold water, let's say in a bath? They don't always mix. Yes. Because if you've got the hot tap on and then you put your toes down, you can burn your toes because you haven't mixed it all yeah. in properly. And you have to you have to swill it about with your hand to get it all like the same temperature all over, or at least that's what I do. I yes. swill it about with my hand. <laughs> no, I do the same. It's because the, <laughs> the cold water is heavier. Oh. Like with air, hot water hot things rise um, so the hot water is less dense it's lighter so it will sit on top and the cold water will sink being heavier so the same things happening with the river and the ocean um, so the temperature does control does play a role in controlling that difference mm -hmm. in density but yeah. perhaps more importantly what's the main difference between water in a river and water in the ocean salt yes salt Yes. So is salt yes. water heavier? Is salt water heavier or lighter? Oh, oh, I heavier. I want to say heavier. Yeah, because it's it's water with salt added, so it's got. Which more is stuff. why you can go and lie on the Dead Sea. Yeah, because exactly. you because yeah. you're yeah. yeah, and they do that um salt water flotation stuff in spas now oh, yeah, as well, where do. you get like trapped in an yeah. egg. Weird. And, yeah, it makes me think <laughs> they probably like just have a freak out because you're like alone with your thoughts in this like salt water bath. Mm. But anyway, <laughs> I, uh, I I haven't done the weird egg thing, but I I did go to the Dead Sea uh, last year. Ooh. And um, and it was it was really surreal because you no matter how hard you try you can't sink. Yeah, I think I'd love to go I'd after like to just getting a piercing done because you know how you meant to like salt water your piercing. Oh no, it would stink. I think it would be the perfect thing to do. <laughs> be a bit too much salt ratio Look, there. It would speed up your healing process. Oh, oh I'm not sting. sure it would. So much. <laughs> okay, so we've got salt and we've got salt temperature. temperature. Yeah, so all, both of them are actually controlling the density. Of the mm -hmm. of the water, so that's going to be actually our second really important parameter or variable. So the fact that as the river water is flowing in, it's lighter, so it wants to float. Mm -hmm. It wants to be on the top rather than sinking. So in general, that means your yeah. pollution is going to be, in general, trapped near the top layer of the of the ocean rather than the bottom. Of mm -hmm. course, over time, things do start to sediment and will eventually sink down. But as the water is moving, it's moving through that top layer. So that's another important thing. And again, I can control that in my experiments because I can pick how salty my water is. I've got the water flowing in from a pipe at the side, which is my river, and that's just fresh water from the tap. But then the ocean that I'm creating in my big rotating fish tank, mm. I can add as much salt as I want and then mix it all in and obviously take measurements to, to get accurate values. Mm -hmm. So the third and final thing then is going to be the actual amount of water leaving the river. Mm -hmm. So for large rivers versus small rivers, you're expecting different things to happen. And that's kind of encapsulated by, we would call it the volume flux, the amount of water leaving the river per second. Uh, and these things are crazy. So um, the River Rhine, which I looked at, is like 
2,000 meters cubed per second of water leaves that river. So you say so that's that makes, crazy and I makes go... makes nothing. I have no idea. So <laughs> w- what is... That's, what, okay. what is that like? Okay, 1,000 liters is one meter cubed. Two million liters a second. And so how many baths is that? How many la- How many liters in a bathtub? How, how many, many liters in a bathtub? How many liters in a swimming pool? <laughs> if you would take a swimming pool. Oh yeah, swimming okay. pool. Let's take an Olympic swimming pool. So let's say it's 50 meters long. 10 meters wide that's a nice number that's mm-hmm. 500 how deep is it two so that would be a thousand ten thousand so let's say an olympic swimming pool is ten thousand liters it's probably more but let's go with ten thousand so it's like 200 swimming pools a second of water okay so that's a shit ton yes that's a shit ton of yeah, <laughs> yeah that sounds about right the, the official measurement is a shit ton yes. of water yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> But not quite a fuck ton. A fuck ton is even more in the official measurements. <laughs> so the Amazon would be a fuck ton then if, if the river rises yeah. a shit ton. There we go. The new scale of measuring <laughs> the size of a river. You can use that one in your next academic paper. That's fine. Thank I will you, let yeah, you. The, the scale. <laughs> Love it. Um, so, so that's going to be the other... Um, variable and again I can control this because I had I had a little like valve like flow valve on my pipe so I can make my river mm-hmm. shoot produce lots of water or be like a small little trickle depending on the, mm-hmm. the one I wanted to study um, so I'm again I'm in charge of this I control these experiments and then what you do is once you've figured out these are the important variables you then run your experiment you know with like a hundred different mm-hmm. values for each one of these variables and try and see what happens. So, you know, you wow. you just change one thing at a time and see what happens instead and, and measure different things. Um, so mm-hmm. the things we were trying to, the main things we were interested in with this question about pollution. So we know it's it's turning to the side in, in the northern mm-hmm. hemisphere. It's turning to the right. So then what you're interested in is, well, how big is this sort of river current that's flowing along the coast? So it's coming in. Mm-hmm taking a right, and then it's kind of shooting along the coast. So ideally, you want to know, well, how deep is this going to go? Mm-hmm. Um, how far out to sea does it extend? Are we mm-hmm. talking like 10 kilometers out to sea? Is it as wide as 100? Um, and also, how fast is it moving? So we have an idea of how long it takes pollution to leave a river and end up some distance mm-hmm. down the coast. Um, and then from the experiments, you can test all of these things. And then the final thing or the final sort of like ingredient in trying to solve the problem is then um, to actually use the mathematical equations to get (laughs) predictions. And this is the bit where I go, nope, (laughs) I don't understand. I had to reset my maths GCSE. I don't know maths. I know three of my times tables. (laughs) Me and Matt's are really good friends. <laughs> you might find this quite fun, actually. We we have um, a set of equations in, in fluid dynamics, which is the study of, of fluids. Oh, actually, you'll definitely find this fun. So, so I study fluid mechanics. <laughs> because it's the study of fluids. <laughs> well, that in itself is, is fun. No, no, no. But I know you'll like this. So fluid mechanics, it's um, studying the motion of uh, any fluid in, in the world. And when we say fluid, we mean... Um, Generally, we mean airs and um, airs, gases and liquids. Mm-hmm. Now, 
the technical definition of a fluid is anything that changes shape to fit the container that it's inside. I know that. I remember learning that. Yeah. Awesome. So there's a really, really fun piece of research that was done, I think, four or five years ago. And it won something called the Ig Nobel Prize, which is the prize for the most, like, uh, ridiculous piece of research. So it's a real bit of, it's a real prize that exists. And it's actual scientific it. papers that are published by real scientists. Obviously, this is they're the doing only one I care about. They're doing the it, you know. Ridiculous. They're obviously doing it in their spare time for a bit of a laugh. But they're pl- <laughs> they're applying absolute scientific methods to ridiculous questions. Excellent. And there was Brilliant. one that won. I think it was 2017. And the question was: Are cats a fluid? <gasps> because they do they do they will move to fit any yeah. container exactly. that's true yeah. and there's loads of just brilliant images of just cats like inside glasses and like cats inside like baking trays will. like it's it's insane just so i think the conclusion was that cats, so cats behave like fluid it was it said something like under certain oh, situations fat. a cat will demonstrate fluid like properties was like the final <laughs> conclusion because obviously it's written in very scientific language that's so good but you didn't use cats in your I didn't, I didn't in your experiment you didn't I, uh... tempted to put them in the tank <laughs> sarah <laughs> i don't like cats. <laughs> just submerge them like <laughs> The only thing I know from fluid dynamics is my dad telling me all about how um, actually they've got the way that they the way that they treat traffic in traffic jams wrong because instead of slowing down cars you should speed them up because actually <laughs> it's like a, like a liquid going through a smaller narrower um, constriction you get through it quickly. Oh, so. like when back to baths like when your bath is draining and it goes quicker when there's less water and it's like it's gone (laughs) but that's because you can see it no but it does get quicker have you ever put your hand over and felt as the water goes down as it then sucks your hand in no maybe you can try it with cats i'm gonna write see if they go through quicker there's there's a similar thing you can do with um with a bottle of beer so if you're ever in a situation where you need to drink a bottle of beer very quickly or a bottle of wine straight from the bottle so if, as you try and Good. drink it, it's very difficult because the air gets trapped. So what you yeah. do is you, you sort of, before you turn Creative it, before you go to drink it, you swill it to create a vortex in the centre. And then as you go to drink, that creates a place to allow the air to seep out and then you can drink it. The, the, the interesting thing about fluids is, aside from, from cats, is we actually have um, a set of equations called the Navier-Stokes equations. And I actually have them tattooed on my ribs. I love them so much. And um, <laughs> that's just the best. You're like, oh yeah, I happen to have them tattooed anyway. <laughs> well, I spent four years studying them. It felt like a, an appropriate end to the PhD. Um, and so the, the equations, um, they're based on very like universal laws of physics. So Newton's laws of motion, mm-hmm. conservation of mass, like stuff that just generally is kind of like accepted is true in the universe. And they describe the movement of all of these different fluids. Now, the problem is we don't actually understand them mathematically, which is a reasonably difficult (laughs) concept to sort of get your head around because we use them to like solve every physics and engineering problem ever. That's how we build supersonic planes, for example, and rockets using these equations. So they clearly work and we're clearly happy with them. But as a mathematician, we don't really understand them properly. Um, and so much so that you, there's actually a million dollar prize for helping to improve our understanding 
of these particular equations. Oh my God. And next time I get on a plane, that's all I'm going to think about. I'm going to be sitting there going, people who built this don't actually understand the equation they used to build this. Yeah, yep. pretty much. Magic. That's good. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. It's magic. <laughs> Uh, but Brilliant. It's, it's one of it's one of those things that I mean the reason this prize exists is because like we know how they work and we've been using mm. them for a hundred plus years since they've been around with you know no issues like in general yeah. you know we can do all these amazing incredible things but we don't really understand them so that is the starting point for the equations when you're trying to understand mm. this river water and the pollution as well you go right well it's a fluid Navier-Stokes equations and then the reason we actually get around the fact that we don't understand them is you just make a load of assumptions. And this is something you do in mathematical <laughs> modeling all of the time. So See, it's something okay, I do every so this, day. <laughs> well, and this is something I've, I've never understood because when you learn maths at school and the, the difficulty with learning it is there is a right answer. Mm-hmm. And what I hear so much from talking to people that actually work in maths is that there isn't any right answer ever. And you just assume a load of shit and then go, oh, look, it worked. It, it, worked. <laughs> it must be true. I mean, that's just research. There is no longer a right answer, right? Because you're actually, it's quite terrifying when you think about it. You are like the one who's coming up with the answers that go in the back of the textbook. So it's just oh. like... Yeah, it's just, that's worse than the God sort of actually. That's actually more terrifying. You're God, but then somebody will be documenting (laughs) your decisions. Yeah. (gasps) Yeah, no. Nightmare's going to happen tonight. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then this is like the kind of thing, it's super relevant with the whole COVID pandemic, right? The the models Mm. the government are using and people are saying, you know, they're doing the right or the wrong thing. I don't think you can ever really do the right or the wrong thing. You can only make a decision based on the assumptions you have made in your model. But, oh, I don't know. I reckon I think, Boris has done I mean, a few wrong things. Well, yeah. Boris we Johnson's done Not meaning done to get political. To I just... Right things. Not meaning yeah. to get political, <laughs> but... <laughs> Moving swiftly on. I, I, I meant more in general the, the yeah. idea about whenever you're using a model, just in, in science in general, you have a model, mm-hmm. and the important thing to bear in mind are what assumptions have I made? And mm-hmm. with how much confidence can I say this is the result? But it's almost like having an asterisk next to it. So you're kind of saying like, mm-hmm. this is going to happen provided this assumption I made was correct. That's like how you should present these results. It's not, this is going to happen, done, game over. It's like, I think this is going to happen if this is this and this and this are true. Okay, so we make these assumptions, like the fact that things turn left or right. At some mm-hmm. point yes. you could find out that they're only doing that because they saw the invisible sign um, <laughs> to do it and somebody no, changed the we sign. Know why no, I know. It's going left but or right. the assumption yeah, okay. yeah. could well, then I can give change. You, I can give you one example of, of the... Um, so you could use the full equations without making any assumptions. Mm-hmm. Well, there, there are still some underlying, but that's a whole other story. So you could use the full equations without making any simplifications. But then that's a bad idea because we don't understand the full equations. So that's why we get around that like lack of understanding until someone wins the million dollars. We're going to just like say, well, let's just simplify everything. And one of the things um, that we assume in this situation, for example, is that the rotation is one of, is the dominant force. So the fact that the earth's rotating, you say that is more important than any of the other forces, than gravity, than pressure, than anything else, which, Mm -hmm. Again, you, you have to sort of, I guess, justify that, and it's important to keep that in mind. But 
So that wouldn't work if you were at the Amazon River because it doesn't feel the rotation. But if you're far enough away, yeah, yeah. like the River Rhine that I was studying, it's like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. So you make these assumptions and then you get down to an equation you can actually solve. Now it does require like pretty advanced techniques to solve, you know, university level maths, but you can using pen and paper, you don't even need to use a computer, which is nice. You're just using pen and paper, you get a solution. Um, and it sort of gives you some predictions about these properties of the river current going along the coast, which remember is carrying our pollution. Mm -hmm. And you end up with really neat formulas for the depth um, of the current. So again, the depth of the pollution, you get a nice formula mm -hmm. for the width, how far out to sea it goes, and also how fast it's moving. And the mm -hmm. absolute best thing about this, and this was like that moment where, you know, about 3 a.m. one morning, I'm like in the office, like <laughs> trying to just, you no, know, because I was just getting so involved in it, not because I had to work that yeah. late. It was just like, so like, I really want to just <laughs> get the answer out of these equations. And then you sort of have that like, literal eureka moment where the answer is just super super simple and, and it's see, like i love that oh. for you that's like a brilliant like and i've solved this thing that's actually really important and my equivalent is when i'm writing so i'm really excited and then i realize no wait the sex scene should be three pages later that's my yeah. equivalent <laughs> sometimes <laughs> it's the same thing <laughs> It's just different topics. Just uh, different, different topics. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the big thing here was that the formulas for the depth, the width, and the speed only depend on those three parameters that we mentioned before. So the rotation rate, the amount of water leaving the river, the volume flux, and that density difference between and the, the salt density. and the fresh. Yeah. So now... I was, I was playing that game in my head. Yeah. I, was like, Can I remember the three. Yeah. Got that. <laughs> So there are the three things. That, that's basically it. From Again, from a first order level. So this isn't going to give you an exact prediction. Like, it's not going to say this, you know, this river current along the coast containing our pollution will be 9.312 meters deep. It's not going to give you that. <laughs> but it's going to say, you know, probably the top 10 it's meters. It's pretty much there. Yeah, it's going to be like yeah. the top 10 meters is probably where your pollution is going to be. So don't bother with, you know, having 200 meter deep nets that are going to get tangled on the bottom. Concentrate on the top 10 meters, nice and easy, nice and quick, you'll get most of the pollution. Yeah. So that's kind of like the power of having these simplified models. It's not going to give you the exact solution, but it gives you enough useful information that you can now go in and say, well, it's not really that, you know, it's easier to convince somebody to be like, well, all I need is like a 10 meter net to just drive up and down the coast for three days. And I can get you 90% of the pollution out of that, you know, yeah. your coastal region. Mm -hmm. You sort of trying to, you know, imagine like, this is where it comes into like policy. You're trying to convince somebody to fund this as a great idea. Yeah. Then, then you can, you can sort of give them the approximate numbers that are close enough. Yeah to kind of like get um, the resources and the support that you might need to sort of run one of these cleanup operations. Um, yeah, because the ocean is pretty large. Really? Yeah. No shit, Sarah. So the thought of cleaning all of it is a bit much. But hopefully, but there must also we be, now have the maths. But there must also be, as within your model as well, the sort of cutoff is you've got to get it before it reaches that point, otherwise it's dissipated and it's gone. So that's why the that's can't... why the velocity, the speed that this thing moves at is really important. Mm -hmm. Because if there's like a big yeah. spillage, you know, if there's like an oil tanker like crashes in, in the river or near to mm -hmm. the river mouth, 
then you know you want yeah. to know how long have we got before this kind of escapes and starts progressing. You know, if you're a one country, you can control what you do in your own border, coastal area. Yeah. But if it then moves on to your neighbours, you you can't necessarily yeah. control what's happening there. Because um, yeah. when when I've talked about this work before, lots of people say, well, why don't you just clean up the pollution in the river? Which is mm. which would be great. But, you know, then you could say, okay, well, well, that was going to be my next yeah. question was, like, <laughs> you know, well, we just stop it before it gets there. Absolutely. So, like, we, we could do that and you could you could sort of stop any more being added. But I think that sort of in some sense comes back to the question of saying, well, why don't we just not pollute the ocean? <laughs> I know it's not quite It'd as be lovely. straightforward. It would be so lovely if we all just yeah. thought that. But it's no, like, no, no. No, you could definitely, of course, if you were able to somehow, like, filter out the pollution at the river mm. mouth. That would be ideal. But then at the same time, you would still need to get all the stuff that's already in the ocean. So you could go out mm -hmm. and try and clean up 90% of the ocean with a minimal amount of effort using this kind of model, saying these are the main areas. Let's go and concentrate mm -hmm. on these areas. You'll get a good chunk of it. And then let's go mm -hmm. back to our rivers and let's actually now try and like filter everything before it gets to the ocean in the future. Or, you know, let's just stop mm -hmm. polluting things altogether. <laughs> Let's learn our lesson. Please, stop. please, okay. can we just stop polluting? Ideally, we'd clean up the whole ocean. We all know, unfortunately, that's not going to happen. So we have limited resources. Let's just put them in the areas where they're going to have the biggest impact, right? Can we get as much pollution as possible with, with the limited resources we have? And so using models like the one that I've been working on, you know, you can say, right, so I'm trying to clean up the North Sea around the River Rhine, for example, with the numbers there, we get a prediction that the pollution in general is confined to the top 10 meters. It stretches about 10 kilometers out to sea. And so what that mm -hmm. tells you is when you're doing your cleanup operation, you only need a relatively small net, only has to go down about 10 meters, some mm -hmm. kind of like nano net, for example, to catch all of the microplastics and things. Mm -hmm. And you just need to concentrate on that 10 kilometer coastal zone. So you're not like wasting time by going out further or... Mm -hmm. by having a deeper net that could get tangled and cause other issues. So it's kind of, it's it's just about trying to make the most of what we've got. It's just making it more manageable. As much as we can, yeah. I feel a little bit mind blown, but in the best way. So thank you for blowing my mind. And I'm going to say it, guess what? What? I had fun doing maths because I didn't actually do the maths, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Oh, Tom, it's been brilliant. It's been really good Thank fun. you so much. That has been really, really cool. Yeah. I've loved it. I've learned a ton. I'm glad. I've, I've had fun too. It's been really good. And you enjoyed a gin. I did. I actually think I did. It was, it was so sweet. Like the overpowering double, <laughs> double lemon slice plus lemonade. I think I actually Perfect. finally maybe have got over my, uh, my fear of gin. We'll see. Well, Yay! Yeah. Super. Amazing. Brilliant. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Bye. And let's debrief. Ocean pollution. Where does river water go when it enters the ocean? The sea. It goes into the ocean, but where does it go? Well, it goes left. Well, it goes left or right, or, or right. it goes straight, or depending everywhere. on whether it's on the equator, because yeah, the yeah. Earth is on a little axis and it's like spinning around. And because of its spinning, depends on whether it goes left or right. Or straight. Or straight, if it's in the middle. Or, well, all areas, or, yeah, if it's in the middle. Yeah, it kind of fans out. And three things it depends on. Salt wateriness. 
density. Yeah. The where spinny you axis. are, spinny axis. Yeah. yeah. And the rate of which it's flowing in. How much water goes out. Exactly. Absolutely. So all those yeah. three things then determine where, how much where you should be getting the pollution yeah. and then you can kind of roughly guesstimate guesstimate where it is to clean it up and there you go job done and we kind of guesstimated and we learned that cats that behave it. kind of like a fluid cats are like a fluid <laughs> i love that i had fun which was quite good which i didn't expect learning about ocean pollution i thought i'd be a bit bummed out at the end but actually i'm hopeful yeah i'm hopeful that there are people out there doing maths like that which is gonna Hopefully, clean up the oceans a bit. Because doing maths like that just makes it a bit more manageable to go, hey, if you just clean this little bit, you you don't have to do the whole lot. It's like when I'm having a sad girl day and I can't be bothered to shower, so I'm like, well, just start with brushing your teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So there we go. The gym's all right. I actually really enjoy the gin. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna keep I that want one it myself. With different stuff is my problem. I'm thinking I might I might get really bougie. You know you can buy little roasted coffee beans. Oh, it's time to go. To put it's, in the no, gin. No, I might no. do that. Fuck off. Along with something nice. See and you spicy. next week and fuck off. I'm just gonna carry on thinking about all the things I can put in my gin. you enjoyed that little episode you got to the end so hopefully you did (laughs) that's very true (laughs) well done if you'd like more content from us you can follow us on instagram you can and you'll also find our chief gin taster the gin monkey with tasting notes of all the gins that we're tasting in the series go on to instagram so it's worth following yeah yeah topic gin topic gin same on twitter same on twitter send us a little tweet yeah we're on facebook too topic gin keeping it all nice and simple and you can email us you can if you want at hello at ginandtopic.com if you click subscribe as well that would be really handy reviews tell people you to do and we'll be back next week with another episode i know and another guest and another gin yay And don't forget to join me and Emma in our new tasting room on Sunday and she can tell us all about the gin.